Great God, our Father, thank you so much that you are a great king. Um, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live to intercede for us with, with groanings that words can't express. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our great Savior and our Keeper. We just invite during this time, Almighty God, that you'd speak, you'd do your work here, and you'd open our eyes and our souls uh, to what you have for us, and you would take up what concerns us to be our comfort and our conviction and our help. We'll praise you for all of it, and we'll give you this time to that end in Christ's name. Amen. Peter's letter, 1 Peter, is written to believers who are facing a growing persecution. But the pressure from the outside is not the only concern that Peter has. That's most of what he's addressed in the letter to this point, though not entirely. And it's not what he'll address as he comes to the beginning of chapter 5 and nears the closing of his letter in our passage today. He knows that pressure from the outside is a problem, but unless there is harmony within, that pressure from the outside will flatten these believers in the early church. The weight of the world would be unbearable if they were not in submission to God, if they were not in harmony with God and with one another. Their holy, hopeful witness, as Peter has described often in this letter, would be swamped. If each one chooses to wander to his or her, her own direction or his or her own way, then they're just not going to make it. Peter has just told them at the end of chapter 4 that God is purifying them through this time of suffering. God is doing a work in them purposely through trials. And he says in 4.17, we looked at last week, purifying will begin right here with God's people. He's going to do his work here first. And so therefore, because God's work will begin there, he urges them now, starting in chapter 5, to be in right relationship among themselves. Just glance down at your Bible. That's probably the first word you have at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore. Well, what is that therefore? It is there for Peter to explain that if these pressures are coming on you for God's purpose of purifying, the only way you're going to survive is therefore in light of these, be in right relationship with one another. You need the presence of God's people. You need the support of the flock of God. And it needs to operate rightly, and you need to assume your right place in, that, in it. So Peter, this morning, then calls them to life in the sheep pen. Pick up with me in chapter 5. We'll start reading our passage in verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. First thing Peter tells us this morning about life in the sheep pen is that sheep need to be shepherded. First thing he tells us is sheep need to be shepherded. What we notice is we have a command here. Peter turns to a specific group of individuals at the beginning of this passage and for most of this passage. He's addressing elders. 
Now, he's going to get around to address everybody in the body before he's done. But what he gives to those elders is a specific command. Now, if that command is just given to a certain group, why is it here in this letter? I mean, couldn't Peter have, like, written a letter and then along with it, like, maybe, like, wrote out a couple of Post-it notes and said, look, you give this to everybody and then, you know, carry these, you know, just to the elders. This is some kind of behind-the-scenes info for them. No. That wasn't Peter's desire. It wasn't apparently the Holy Spirit's purpose either. What is the command? Well, Peter starts 5.1, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. And then Peter gives three phrases talking about himself. We'll come back to those later. And he finally gets around to the command in verse 2. I exhort the elders among you, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. The command for the elders to shepherd the body is right out there in the open for all to see. Why is that? Because it reflects God's will for all of those in the church. And he wants everybody to know if you're a sheep, and you are, you need to be shepherded. This is the design of the body of Christ and how it's meant to work. Scripture loves, by the way, to call us two things more than any other. Well, believer is really the first one, but you want to know what believers are called, I think, most in Scripture? Sheep. And the other one, children. How's that to make you pound your chest and feel proud this morning? Sheep and children. And yet the older I get, the more I resonate with the truth that I'm really just a sheep, Lord, and I'm really just a child. And the more I resonate with joy and the more that I'm grateful for the fact that I have a good father as a child and I have a great shepherd as a sheep who knows who knows me and knows my needs. Philip Keller, speaking about sheep, Philip Keller, no relationship to Timothy, writes this in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It is no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require, more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. John MacArthur goes on. God has created most animals with an uncanny instinct to find their way home, but not sheep. If sheep stray into unfamiliar territory, they become completely disoriented and cannot find their way back home on their own. Later, MacArthur says, sheep spend most of their time eating and drinking. But if they become lost, they are helpless even in this uh, area to find adequate food and water. Left to themselves, sheep will indiscriminately eat both healthy and poisonous plants, or they will overgraze and ruin their own pasture. Later, he says, sheep are much in need of other assistance as well. Because their wool secretes a large volume of oily lanolin that permeates their fleece, much dirt, grass, and windblown debris clings to it. Since they have no ability to clean themselves, they're, they're not cats. Since they have no ability to clean themselves, they remain soiled until the shepherd shears them. Between shearings, that dirty, sticky accumulation must be cut away from under their tails or they cannot eliminate waste and can even become sick and die. So, brother, sister in Christ, as a sheep, you get the picture for us. We need someone to clean off behind our tail so that we can eliminate waste. That's a picture that the Lord uses of us, and His kindness knows how deep our need, how great our dependence for things that He alone can provide and understand. First Thessalonians 5.14 5, 
speaks this to all believers. It says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Why does it say that? Because we are sheep, and we can be each of those things, can't we? We're all sheep, and at different times and in different ways, we, we spit, we tremble, we faint, we even frustrate those that try to help us, don't we? You need to be shepherded because you have blind spots and you have sore spots. You need both sight to help you see and you need a balm for your soothing. I need to be shepherded, both because at times I can prone to be despondent or I can be prone to be arrogant. I need both at different times lifting up and talking down. I need to be shepherded. Sheep need to be shepherded is the first takeaway as Peter writes this to elders but leaves it out there in the open for all of us sheep to read. That is a takeaway from this passage. And it'll be explicit at the end, but it's implicit even here at the beginning. Now, Peter will turn in the passage to address elders as he talks about life in the sheep pen. And we need to pause just for a moment because some of you may not have been around here forever or you may not be familiar with the the word elder or what exactly that it means, and I just want to explain it quickly. So in summary, what I've given you is uh, essentially a long, complicated definition that sort of covers it all, and I'll just give it to you and then point back to it and say, there you go. There's the summary. Here it is in your notes if you want to fill it in. Elders are servant leaders called of God and confirmed by the congregation to feed, lead, care for, and protect the body. I'll say it again. Elders are servant leaders, called of God, and confirmed by the congregation to feed, lead, care for, and protect the body. Those four duties that elders have are not random. Those are specifically chosen, as at least one individual has gathered all of the commands to elders in the New Testament and demonstrated that they really fall under those four categories, feed, lead, care, and protect. So what do I want to say about this? First, a couple quick things. The New Testament recognizes two offices in the body of Christ, elders and deacons. Now, elders go by many different names in Scripture. Pastor, shepherd, overseer, or in some places, even the word bishop, depending upon your translation. And it's interesting because three of those several different titles appear right here in this passage to demonstrate that they're all interchangeable. There's no difference between them. 5.1, therefore I exhort the elders. 5.2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. That's the word for overseer. So pastors and shepherds and overseers and elders, same thing. So in our church, you might think, you know what, we have one pastor. Not true. We actually have about four or five. Traditionally, we've had either four or five men. And each of them are pastor, shepherd, elder, elder, overseer, bishops. Although, I don't think anybody ever calls us bishop around here. And that's probably good. Some who are elders may be compensated. Others won't get their compensation until they stand before the Lord in heaven. The duties of the office, as I've said, are to feed, lead, care, and protect. But all four of those are related in some way or another to the ministry of the word, and to prayer. 
as modeled for us in Acts chapter 6. What is the point of this brief diversion? It's just to state that there is a specific role that is well-defined in Scripture that is ordained by Christ, known as the role or the office of an elder. And yet, for all of that, as with all human endeavors, it's still very imperfect. Why? Because as with every other office, it's populated by sinners. It's populated by humans. There are no perfect elders, just as there are no perfect churches. And every group of elders and every individual elder needs the grace and the help of God, and I would say, as well, the understanding and support of the body, which is part of why we're here this morning. Eldership is not a power grab. It is a received calling confirmed by the leaders and the congregation. All of the church, I believe, should at some level understand the office, should sympathize with its purpose, and should help protect what it is to do. Just as we do the same thing with other callings that we don't all, each of us, necessarily have, like the call of marriage. Everyone in the body of Christ needs to, I believe, understand, sympathize, and protect that calling. The call of parenting, or any other that you might consider. Now, all that said, elders are definitely not the only shepherds in a congregation, not by a long shot, because a healthy church is full of shepherds. So, here's what I want to say in setting up where we're going to go. What we'll see today in this passage addressed to elders is that it speaks specifically to that group. And yet, by extension, it speaks as well and can be applied to all spiritual shepherds of other types, of which there are many in the church. Small group leaders, Bible study leaders, one-to-one disciple makers, ministry teams, and more. There are many who informally don't have a title or some position, but they just choose to invest in the life of another, and they're doing shepherding. They're giving counsel, or they're listening and praying. They're caring for another's soul. They're feeding and nurturing and teaching and helping them grow. So... By extension, what we're going to find here can be applied to all these spiritual shepherds. And I think you could even go further, just as far as principle goes. I think even from this passage, you could draw principles that go way beyond the boundaries of the church. Like to the kind of shepherding that you do as a parent, or as a teacher, or as a leader, or a coach, or a mentor in any other number of different spheres. So... Let's allow the passage to speak to us in these ways, and let's allow Peter to encourage us about life in the sheep pen, and then you can make the applications to your own life as you choose. First then, Peter has said, sheep need to be shepherded, and then he's going to tell us five things that shepherds need, and I've just left you some space. You can write those in as we go. Five things that shepherds need. Good luck fitting them in, by the way. Sorry. First, I'll just tell you, shepherds need hopeful empathy. Shepherds need hopeful empathy. Look again at verse 1. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. And here's how Peter writes. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Notice Peter's appeal. He says, I come to you as a fellow elder. Notice the humility in that, the empathy. Peter, if he wanted, could have said, hey, I'm going to tell all the elders what to do because I'm an apostle. And so, you know, God's 
charged me with this responsibility, so let me tell you how this is going to work, right? He'd have the authority to do that, but he doesn't. In fact, he could name a lot of other things. Peter could say, hey, look, I want to tell the elders what to do, and I'm telling you as the dude that walked on water. And that'd be pretty good. You'd go, well, okay, that's a short list. You got Jesus, and oh, yeah, Peter did that for at least a few seconds. And like, that's it, right? Peter says, I, I urge you as a fellow elder, because Peter's done the work. He's been in the trenches. He, he comes alongside these shepherds, and he says, I can empathize with your job. He says as well of himself, he says that I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Well, that carries us back to, to Jesus' passion week and everything that he experienced, right? The things that we have recorded for us in the Gospels. And we remember Peter was an eyewitness of those things. But here's the question. As Peter says, look, I'm an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. You think Peter's pounding his chest over that? You think he's bragging, saying, I was there? It's like, well, yeah, Peter, I know you were there. I kind of know how that went for you. Yeah, aren't you the guy that in... In Christ's hour of greatest need, fell asleep, right? That was you. And aren't, aren't you the dude that when they came to get him, Peter was the one that jumped up, pulled out a sword, and single-handedly attacked a guy's ear, right? Oh, yeah, and, and you were that guy who a few hours later, after Christ told you you would do it, betrayed him three times, even as he looked in your eyes from a distance as he stood under the weight and the burden of an unjust trial. Peter says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I don't think he says that with bravado. I think this is another part of Peter's humble example, as he will ask elders and shepherds to be humble examples. He also says of himself, and I'm a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, as a shepherd, I understand. It can be concealed now that you have a reward, but in the future, it will be revealed. Peter knows how hard it is to care for sheep. He comes as a fellow elder. Peter knows what it is to fail. And he says, you, you guys know all about the stories are well told. But Peter also knows the future glory that awaits him as he just seeks to be faithful. He appeals as a fellow worker and an example, not as one who lords it over, as he will tell elders not to do. And I think for any elders, for any of us as shepherds in any sphere, as we hear this, this is incredibly hopeful and needed. Unless you find that the job of shepherding as a parent is pretty much a piece of cake and you don't need an or there are other people in your life that you invest in and sacrifice for and listen to and love and feed and nourish. But that's so easy. But maybe if you're like me, maybe if you're like what the Spirit thought of these elders, you might need that encouragement. This is hopeful. If the Apostle Peter has been there, he knows the work and the joys. He knows the failure but he also knows the glory. 
So there is a hopeful empathy. I'm encouraged, we can say, that the Apostle Peter's been there. Shepherds need hopeful empathy. Second, shepherds need a God-given satisfaction in their work. Shepherds need a God-given satisfaction in their work. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then he tells them how. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Not forced, but willing. Not, as one commentator has said, because you have to, but because you want to. Would it scandalize you for me to say there are mornings that I wake up and I think, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I think I'm pretty done. I doubt it would. Uh, unless you're one of those people who never has a single day of your life and you wake up and you think, you know what, I'm done. I pretty much don't want to do this anymore. Right? And especially if you do people work, if you're blessed with the privilege of being involved in people's lives. What a gift. We don't deserve it. But man, there's plenty of times where you just think, you know what, I'm so done with people. Like, can I work with animals? That would be better, right? We might say. But it is God's work in you for God's spirit to give you a satisfaction in the task. When you see success and when you're waiting, when you're struggling and serving, or even when you just turn your palms up and say, Lord, I'm not even quite sure what to do. There is a satisfaction in the knowledge that this is your work. It is according to the will of God, the passage says. So, Lord, help me do it well is unto you. Shepherds need a God-given satisfaction in the work. Not, not because I have to do this. It's his nourishment that helps you shepherd well in whatever way. You're giving your life away and investing in others. Third, shepherds need an interest in people that isn't mercenary. Shepherds need an interest in people that isn't mercenary. Again, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And here it is, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not, not motivated by, by greed. Not looking for what other things that are tangential to this work can accrue to you but instead having an interest in the very people and the work itself. That's what shepherds need. And guess what? I don't know about you, but I can't produce it. But the Spirit can. And the Spirit does. The Spirit can give us an interest in the people and the work, not just because you're a hired hand. What does it mean to be mercenary or here? What is sordid gain? Well, the most obvious could be doing your job for the pursuit of money. But that's unheard of, right? That never happens. Ever seen any pastors in America like that? By the way, I just wanted to let you know that I have my Gulf Stream parked outside and I'm giving free rides after service. That's funny and it's meant to be a little tongue-in-cheek, but sadly we could name the names of the pastors who have told their TV congregations, um, the Lord has told me I need a new Gulf Stream and you need to buy it for me. And then they've done it. I wouldn't want to trade shoes with them. But every one of us needs to ask of ourselves, what is my motivation? And it's a good thing. The Lord comes with the command because he means to follow with the provision. 
not for any sordid gain, but just for the satisfaction in the work and the interest in the people and the privilege itself. This is not a means to some other end. It is the end. There are few things, you can count them on one hand, I think, few things scripture tell us that will last forever. And humans is one of them. So that's worth the investment, isn't it? Fourth, shepherds need not only an interest in people that isn't mercenary, but shepherds need the gift of faithfulness and obscurity. The gift of faithfulness and obscurity rather than power. Rather than power. This is what he says in verse 3. Going on, nor yet as, as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. How do you be an example? Just through faithfulness? Because you or I, no one will ever do it perfectly. The institution is God-ordained, but we muddy it up with our sinfulness, and yet we can do it faithfully. What we need is the gift of faithfulness, and I think that goes hand in glove with the exhortation here, we need the gift of obscurity. Does that sound like a gift? Well, the contrast here is not lording it over, not, not being puffed up with the power or the position or the authority. Power corrupts, right? And you know the rest of the quote. Thank you, Lord Acton. Or someone else has said, power is addictive. Power often begets a thirst for more power. The Lord's shepherd is not to be one addicted to power. A man who seeks the ministry or who seeks a ministry position for the sake of power and authority is thereby disqualified for that position. Brother, sister, you may be in a place now where you're shepherding others, and it may feel like obscurity, it may feel unknown, it may be, it may be the shepherding of an aging parent or someone who needs your medical attention. It could be any number of things, but it's a gift to be faithful. It's a gift to receive that obscurity, and you're thinking, the last thing I'm getting from this is power. Praise God. The Lord has a reward. You're seen by Him. Your faithfulness is given by Him, and the reward will come from Him, which leads us to the fifth thing that Peter says shepherds need. Shepherds need the promise of God-given honor when Christ appears. The promise of God-given honor when Christ appears. He says to them in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. First notice the one who's, who's giving the crown, the chief shepherd. What a beautiful title for our Lord. And what a beautiful encouragement to us when we shepherd others. I'm just, I'm just doing what Jesus did, right? I mean, he's, he's awesome at it. He's the one. I'm just, I'm just here kind of doing what I see he does. He's the chief shepherd. I mean, this task that I get part in is something that's a title for the honored Lord of the universe. Hebrews 13 calls him the great shepherd of the sheep. John 10 tells us that he is the good shepherd. This is the only place in Scripture where he's called the chief shepherd. And I think that's because of the context of shepherding, that he is meaning for us, Peter is, for us to look as shepherds to the chief shepherd. 
You know, you have really one shepherd. Oh, you have many shepherds, but there's one who shepherds us all, right? And all the rest are under shepherds doing his job. Praise God for a good shepherd, because I'm a sheep. Praise God as well for his good shepherds over the course of my life who have shepherded me. And here Peter is pointing shepherds to those rewards those who have done it well for him. What greater reward could there be than to be honored by the chief shepherd for a job well done in his service? Lord, I just, I just did what you asked me. And Lord, I didn't even do it very well. Lord, I failed so many times. And he says, I know you did, but I know you were faithful. And you came to me with your failures and you got back up and I gave you the strength to be, fail, to be faithful again. Lord, I... I didn't even know what I was doing so many times. I did, I, I just, I went in ignorance. I know. But you continued forward in faithfulness. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, he said. Shepherds need the promise of God-given honor when Christ appears. Be encouraged today, whatever your sphere of shepherding might be. Now Peter, having directly addressed the elders and indirectly addressing all shepherds, Peter now turns to all the body, and having given a command to elders, he now gives reciprocal commands and overarching commands that will bring the right kind of cohesion in the sheep pen, or life in the sheep pen. Next, starting in verse 5, Peter will tell us, sheep, sheep need the grace to choose to be shepherded. Sheep need the grace to choose to be shepherded, verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. First, first, I need to have you notice the word likewise, you younger men, likewise. Okay, Peter, likewise. Like what? What is this like, Peter? Because I don't see a likewise. Well, you'd have to have a really good memory to remember what this is likewise. It's been a few months or you'd have to go back a couple of chapters. Remember back in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I mentioned this is really the, the theme verse, if you will, or if it's the keynote, if you want, it's the keynote of the whole letter. Flip back there. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, he says, to abstain and maintain. I'm going to summarize it there. I'm not going to re-preach that whole sermon. As aliens and strangers, abstain and maintain why? So that you can have a hopeful, holy witness. And then from 2.12, Peter goes on in the rest of the letter, and he addresses all the different groups, and he tells them to have the right kind of submission to authority as unto the Lord so that they might have a hopeful, holy witness. Look at it with me. 2.13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. 2.18, servants, do you see it? Be submissive to your master, to your masters. 3.1, in the same way or likewise, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. 3.7, you husbands in the same way or likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. And on he goes. So guess what? When he gets to 1 Peter 5.4, he's, he's taking a little bit of a detour. But he comes back around and he says, likewise in the body of Christ. Do what? Oh, it's that be subject again. But here, it's a command for those within the body of Christ, and it is to be subject to their leaders. So, 
Who, it is, who is it then that, that is to do this, this likewising, this subjectingness? Well, it says in my translation, verse 5, you younger men. Well, good. That's good because that only includes guys between the ages of 11 and 25. So that's easy. Right? I don't think so. I'll give you a few options here. First, it's possible that young men could simply just be the masculine form of a word that's meant to address a mixed group. This happens all the time in Scripture, right? Uh, scripture will say, brethren, I urge you to do blah, blah, blah. Well, is it only talking to the guys? Like, why don't we have any passages that talk about the cistern, right? There's only the brethren. It's a masculine term. We don't think twice about it, right? We understand that it's a term for a mixed group. It's possible here that the best translation is not young men, but but young ones or young people, in fact, ESV and some others, have made that interpretation and have just put young ones in here. So it could be that it is just young ones that are spoken to, maybe. Okay, second. It could be that what we have here is genuinely just young men because maybe the young men represent those who are the most unruly in the body of Christ. I, I was never like that, and neither were you. And if so, the argument would therefore be, if these who are the most likely to buck authority are called to subject themselves to their leaders, how much more should not all of the body could be the idea there? So it could be that it really is young men, but it's representative, but it's even in such a case an argument from the lesser to the greater. Or lastly, in context, it could just be that this word, young ones, is almost a little play on words for Peter. We have elders and youngers. And so he's just saying elders and everybody else, the rest of the body. Now, I don't think it really matters too much because regardless of how you understand the interpretation of the exact words, I think the application is going to end up in the same place. All of us who are sheep need the grace to choose to be shepherded, and it's a choice. Here in the West, we are in a highly independent society, right? It's one of the strengths of our culture is the free spirit and the independence, the, the go get them and get it done kind of attitude. You know, by the way, that for the most part, the largest churches in the world, for whoever counts up those things, do you know where they tend to be in what parts of the world? They tend to be in Asian societies. You know why? Because it's a cultural strength of an Asian society to follow orders, to go along. There's, a, there's an old Japanese proverb that says the nail that, that sticks out gets hammered down. You say that to an American, and you're like, oh, yeah, just try it, right? I mean, that, that's a cultural value. That's an understood value in, in Near Eastern cultures and Far Eastern cultures. Where am I going with that? Here's the point. The question for us is, really, do we want to be shepherded, right? Sheep, whoever they are, oh, everybody, they need the grace to choose to be shepherded. And for us in our culture, it may actually be a harder choice than it is for some in other cultures. If you come to Christ in certain places in Asia, after you come to Christ, they baptize you and they tell you what church you're going to be a part of and what small group you'll be in. And you say, okay, because that's just how it works in their culture. Try that in America, right? No way. And that's okay. But it is for sheep to find the grace to choose to be separated. 
So I just want to say this, since it does happen to mention males, I'll speak more to the males, but it applies to everybody. The truth is that no man can rightly lead unless he is in submission to authority. Any man who is unwilling to be in submission to authority and chooses to lead will not do it rightly. The centurion in Luke chapter 7 understood that, right? And he wasn't even a spiritual guy. He was just a soldier guy. And when he came to Jesus and says, look, I know you have all authority because I'm a centurion and I know how it works, Jesus just shook his head and he says, in all of the nation of Israel, where you're supposed to find all the spiritual people, there is no one who has had the insight of this man. Because he understands when he speaks to his soldiers, he has the authority of, of the Caesar as long as he's under authority. He got it. Husbands in 1 Peter chapter 3 that I just mentioned is another blazing example of the reality that if a man refuses to be under authority, he won't be able to lead. In fact, God promises in 1 Peter 3, 7, you try and lead your wife and you refuse to buck my authority, I will fight for her against you. That's what your leadership will look like. And so it is with all shepherds in the Bible, you could go back to Exodus 34 where God takes the unfaithful shepherds of Israel to task and many other places, both Old and New Testament. Show me a man or a woman who has no respect for authority and I can tell you what I think their kids will probably be like. I can tell you what their lives will probably be like and I'm no prophet. So the question for us is, do we as sheep, do we want to be shepherded? This will fly in the face of our independence and of our self-actualizing society, more so than other cultures on the face of the earth. So be it. Each culture has its strengths and its weaknesses. This is one of those that's a harder lesson to learn for us, but it is a choice of our mind and our will. It's the grace of God that reveals to us, Lord, I, I need people who have the right to speak into my life, look into my life, guide and direct Hold me to account. Lord, I need that. And so we choose to be shepherded. Now, I'm going to move on from this because I think probably we could, we could spend a whole sermon just on this single point, especially when we're in a time and a season when the world is trying to flatten us, tries to fracture us. We need wisdom. We need great wisdom across our challenging situations of this last year and a half or two years, to know how to shepherd and to know how to be shepherded, right? And guys, I've failed. Us elders, we've failed. And, and we're just learning as we go, right? And you know what? I have, I have something else to say. As sheep, guess what? I'm sure you've failed. I'm sure there's times where you've just felt like, you know what? I kind of dig this whole isolation and separation thing and not having to deal with anybody. Like, this is pretty okay, at least for a while, at least for some of us. It's just hard to choose to be shepherded and it is hard to shepherd and we just need wisdom and grace, don't we? Every one of us. There's no possible way that four or five men in a congregation would be sufficient to meet every need. And praise God, that's, that's not meant to be how it works. Elders are not the only shepherds. It takes a flock of under-shepherds to shepherd the body of Christ. That is life in the sheep pen. But all of it starts, at least with this, 
the desire and the commitment both by individuals and by the body for the grace to choose to be shepherded. Finally, Peter then tells us this. All of us, all of us sheep, are you ready? All of us sheep need to embrace our sheepiness. That's what he ends with in verse 5. All of us sheep need to embrace our sheepiness. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter ends with this clear command to all, and it's a command for humility. For all, elders are to be humble and shepherds of all kinds, parents and teachers and mentors and whatever position of authority you may have in the body of Christ, at the very least, you're meant to be humbled, and we could probably find some verses that would say elsewhere as well. Notice how Peter says it. We're told to clothe ourselves with humility. The word clothe there is a word that means literally to, to tie on or tie around. It's to gird yourself with a garment. It's used at times of an apron. I wonder if Peter, though, might not be thinking back to an incident that he was privy to personally when the Lord Jesus girded on a towel and took up a basin of water and bent down in the most outrageous show of humility and began to wash feet. Do you know one of the ways that we wash feet in the body of Christ? We clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. We, we choose to say, you know what, Lord, help me see them for who they are. Help me think of others as better than myself. Lord, Lord you take all my burdens and, and help me reach out. Or help me be willing to be vulnerable and open up my life. Whatever it might be, we wash feet by clothing ourselves with humility. Notice how Peter will then emphasize that point with a motivation he quotes from Proverbs, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's a well-known refrain because it's not only found in Proverbs and here in 1 Peter, but it's quoted elsewhere in the New Testament. I want you to notice first the warning, God is opposed to the proud. So if, if we choose to say, you know what, I get it, I'm pretty prideful, I mean, how can I help it? I mean, look at me. Right? I mean, I know I'm arrogant, but wouldn't you be arrogant too if you were me? And you say, yeah, you can, you can fight with God on that one. I mean, it's a wonderful proverb to remind us if we embrace our arrogance. I mean, I'm arrogant, and we all are, and we all will be. But the best we can do is admit it and plead, and God is gracious. But man, if we just embrace it and say, well, sorry, this is just how I am, God goes, great, um, I'll show you how arrogant you can be. You can fight me. God opposes the proud, but here's the encouragement, the reward. God gives grace to the humble. Lord, I'm, I'm arrogant. Lord, I think I'm better than everybody else in ways that I even hate to admit to myself. Lord, help me. He says, I can, I can help you with that. I can give grace. All of us sheep, we just need to embrace our sheepiness, and he is more than sufficient to meet us. Well, this is Peter's encouragement for a group of believers facing pressure from without, saying, how will you survive? Remember, this is not your home. 
Remember, abstain from what the world loves, but maintain such behavior of life as the world will want. And among one another, this is, this is what life is like in the sheep pen. And, and brothers and sisters, there is a whole world of people outside looking on saying, I wish, I wish I could be a part of that life. That is our hopeful, holy witness. May it be so. Stand with me. Let's uh, close in prayer. Gracious God, our Father, you are a great Father, and thank you for laying down these words for us by your guidance and by your design for what we're meant to be amongst the body and just even as a light to the world. Help us, Lord, you're so good. Holy Spirit, thank you for not only inspiring these words, but bringing the gift of heart change and renewal and the affection for what is eternal, not for what is passing. Lord Jesus, you who are the chief of all shepherds, shepherd of my soul, I thank you. You know where I have fallen short and, and so often do, and yet you give grace. Lord, help us, help your people here today, all of our shepherds in all of their places. Help us as we go to be this kind of servant to the world. And do it just a little bit more like your son has done it for us. This is our hope, our, our joy in looking forward to the unbelievable reward of future glory. And entirely our help through your spirit. This is what we pray. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.